The Start On Demand. On demand. Okay, Brett, just breathe. It's going to be okay. Just take a breath. What's that, Fortier? My mic is on. We're live. We're- oh, <laughs> hi, guys. All right. It's Backling McGarry and McNabb on a Monday. <laughs> Look, I'm kidding. Okay. But I suspect many of us are feeling this way because, wow, over the weekend, as the Fresh Prince once said, our life got flipped, turned upside down. And, Loren, you spent Mother's Day doing a special live broadcast on 680 CJOB. What a weekend, hey? Did everybody have a nice break and get away and enjoy themselves and just relax and take your mind off things and find something? No. I, I tried. And, and, here, and here's the thing. Uh, you know, Friday, 6 o'clock, you had, we all had that tension waiting to hear what the restrictions were going to be. And, of course, everybody has different things. If you're a business owner, you're stressed about what's coming down the pipe. And if you're a parent, you're thinking about schools. And then they didn't mention schools Friday. But they left that cloud hanging over that there will be something more to come on schools on the day ahead. And I don't know about you, Greg, but I woke up yesterday and I was feeling great. And my husband's like, stay in bed. The kids are making you breakfast. We'll bring you a coffee. And they honestly nailed it with the world's best cards that they made through school. And I have their teachers to thank for that. We would never have had these great cards for Mother's Day if it weren't for them helping the kids with these little projects. And I was all super pumped about these cards and how nice they were and how cute they were and how they made me laugh. And then I made the mistake of opening up my email. (laughs) And and then there was, you know, and I went like, was like, like that noise in your head because it had that alert that there's this 1.30 education announcement. And so... Truthfully, I texted my boss right away and said, if you want to her, I, I'm happy to do whatever's needed to work today because I'm not relaxing now for the rest of this day. This day's shot. And I think that's how many parents were feeling, waiting to see what was going to come, knowing, hoping, wondering. For me personally, Greg, I'm, I'm actually not affected. I live outside Winnipeg, so the schools stay open for me. But I, I'm going to fully admit to having a real big cry last night just thinking about the parents and families that are scrambling and of course the businesses that are struggling and and your boys are back home again as of Wednesday yeah well you know and uh listen there are parents in much tougher circumstances than we are Mm -hmm. in terms of the logistics in terms of the education that our kids are getting that's a whole other discussion entirely but the logistics my heart goes out to those with kids that cannot be home alone, those parents who are not working from home now that need to make alternate arrangements, either to work from home themselves or to find some version of of daycare for their kids as they do remote learning. So that's going to be an extra layer on whoever is overseeing those school age kids and the technology involved. And, you know, there's just so much at play here. And to wait until... 1.30, Mother's Day afternoon of all days, to go down this road when the questions had been been being asked for several weeks now. The canary in the coal mine, with all due respect to the canaries, bit the dust a couple of weeks ago. And we could see this coming for a long, long time. And I think it was a week ago Friday, Loren, when we got those numbers from the Louis Riel School Division when they told us, or we'd heard for the through the grapevine, that they'd had 428 staff call in sick on the Friday and they were unable 
to fill 111 of those positions and those slots uh, in the roster. That wasn't all teachers. That was all staff. 428, 111 went unfilled because they didn't have enough backup resources. That, to me, was part of the information, the pile of information that was growing, was gathering that we were headed for exactly what we've seen in Ontario, Alberta, and parts of Saskatchewan in the last several weeks, schools going to remote learning. So now there's this mad scramble to get things in place by Wednesday. And you mentioned my kids. One of my boys had already been home for the last week and had no classes because of a positive case in his cohort. And then my other son has already been, you know, like uh, all high school students had his has had his schedule modified dramatically. So this is, yeah, this is obviously a gigantic upheaval, but I don't think there are a lot of people that would suggest this wasn't A, a long time in coming, and B, needed. I think they were kind of, I mean, I really do hear them when they say they're trying to keep the schools open as long as possible, and they were watching the transmission and how it was spreading more within the community than the schools. And so I heard that and acknowledged that a week ago, but it really, the trajectory, I think, was seen coming in terms of how quickly the numbers were going to grow and and there we are and and you know one of the things that stood out in our special coverage yesterday we interviewed an ICU doctor Dr. Anand Kumar and he talked about the fact that we had 500 plus cases yesterday close to 500 Saturday but he referenced Sunday yesterday usually Sundays are a lower reporting day so the fact that we had that 500 plus cases yesterday had him thinking maybe the numbers will continue to climb in the days ahead and so here we are I like you know we're going to do our best Brett to uh, keep a smile on your faces, but (laughs) uh, I'll force it a little bit until it just feels real. How about that? (laughs) Mackling McGarry McNabb, this latest round of restrictions and shutdowns is going to once again cost a lot of businesses a lot of money, and they're going to once again have to rely on help from the government. Well, yesterday, just moments before the 1.30 p.m. newser and our special coverage with Loren McNabb and Richard Cloutier, I caught this exchange on the Roy Green Show with Dan Kelly, President and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And Greg, I'm going to want your take on this in a moment. You're an entrepreneur, you've owned businesses. Roy asked him, what do you say to those who say, no more handouts? Look, I get it. Uh, People understand, and and business subsidies, I I think, are are generally stupid. Uh, They don't make sense. And this is why most small business owners uh, refuse subsidies, don't even look at them because the government paperwork and headaches are are worth more, far, are far worse than the actual money they get in the end. However, this is really different. Businesses are not getting handouts because they're bad businesses, because they've made dumb decisions. They've chosen a wrong location or their customers are drying up or they're in a dying industry. They're being closed by government order in order to protect society. So is it fair that we have to close that government says you've got to close your business but the costs associated with that for your rent, your inventory that's useless, the, the vegetables you just thrown out in the restaurant because you're now closed suddenly, is it fair that the business has to eat that if, if the lockdown is in order to protect society? That should be picked up by, by all of us as Canadians. Yes, the bills are going to be massive. Yes, it's going to be my 12-year-old son that's going to be picking up the tab. But for goodness sakes, if we don't support businesses right now, Canadians are not going to have jobs to come back to. The economy is going to tumble because these firms are huge economic drivers. 
And, and that's why I think it makes sense. And governments of all political stripes have, have supported uh, uh, these kinds of emergency subsidies. It's an emergency, for goodness sake. Yeah, I agree with Dan Kelly, and I don't always agree with Dan Kelly. This is an emergency. Entrepreneurs are built. Uh, there's a reason why entrepreneurs get painted with a certain brush. They're different in uh, mindset. Typically, it's not even the, the profit motive that necessarily drives entrepreneurs. It's an idea. It's the thought of bringing that idea to life, bringing it to the public. And if you can make some money at the end of the day, that's sort of a bonus in the minds of many entrepreneurs. Now, you can't survive with that mentality for very long, but that's typically the the beginning, the seeds of an idea is to bring something to life, something that you imagine. And so when you have a successful business, you're employing people and you that dream has come to life and you're being shut down for the greater good of society, then absolutely they need to be subsidized and there needs to be supports there. Think about the restaurants on the weekend. We talk about your busiest days of the year, St. Patrick's Day for bars and pubs. Well, for restaurants, it's Mother's Day. Even with the restrictions, restaurants were accepting reservations. And guess what they do when they have reservations and business on the books, they purchase inventory. And a lot of them did so in anticipation of Mother's Day weekend and the carpet got pulled out from beneath them at six o'clock on Friday night. It's, it's a disastrous situation for so, so many. It's why Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce head president and CEO Lauren Remyard said Friday, yep, we saw this coming. We were not surprised, but it it needs to be matched by support. So where are the supports? And he said, you know, the silence is, is deafening on that front. And I think that there's another question we need to ask this morning is where is our premier? The last 72 hours have been massively tumultuous for 99.9% of Manitobans, whether that's through just the personal feelings that you have, whether your business has been closed, whether your kid is now home on Wednesday, and we need to hear from him. And so is are we going to get something today from the Premier at the very least on small biz supports? What will that sound like? And does it bug anyone that we didn't hear from him, whether it was with Dr. Rusin on Friday or yesterday with the education announcement? That to me is where the silence is deafening. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we want to talk about rivalries. Because yesterday on 680 CJOB, special broadcast for the rare Sunday afternoon newser, 1.30 p.m., that's when the education announcement was made, and Richard Cloutier and Loren McNabb were called into duty to host a special broadcast. So the news conference aired, and then Loren and Rich got lots of reaction afterward, and uh, it was great stuff, you guys. But at the end... <laughs> This is how uh, Richard, part, this was part of Richard's sign-off that made Greg and I chuckle. More morning with Loren and company on the start. Uh, say that again. More morning with Loren and company on the start. <laughs> Loren and company. Can't I even like be- that name. <laughs> I think we could, we could play the Three's Company tune, but just have like Come my face. On on. <laughs> it's just Loren here for you, and there's other people sometimes do in the show. Loren Company too. Can't even be bothered to say our names. <laughs> it Thanks, is, it Rich. is difficult, you know. It is. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I just met Richard Cluche last week. Let's be fair. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about rivalries. What's your favorite rivalry? Text us two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight for a chance to win Santa Lucia Pizza twenty dollars. 
$1,000 gift card. It could be anything. It could be from sports. It could be from a TV show. It could be from your real life. Whatever. 204-780-6868. Tell us a story for a chance to win. We'll, do, we'll give it away at 915. So let's go around the horn here because we've got Jets update coming up at 655. Cam Poitras, let's start with you. Why? I find rivalries kind of funny, particularly within groups where the people are pretty much exactly the same, like, uh, you know, Cubs and Cards fans, Midwest baseball clubs and stuff like that. The fans are the same. Riders and the Bombers, you know, similar Prairie Provinces, diehard fan bases, CFL. It's true. Sorry, Greg. It's true. Comparison. So it's the same thing with like places like Pinawa and Lactabani. Like my aunt and uncle were over at a a friend, somebody they had just met. And then the guy that they were at the house of found out my aunt was from Pinawa, my aunt Michelle, and he was just taken aback. He couldn't believe it. He was like, you're from Pinawa? And he, he was like, it was like he was facing all of his prejudices <laughs> in like that moment. And another thing, and I know Braun's listening, Winkler, Altona, and Morton, you guys are the same people. You're from small towns <laughs> in southern Manitoba in the prairies. You're all the same. These rivalries are, they're, I think they're fun. They're funny. But uh, I, I find they always blossom out of places that are much more similar than anywhere else. Like, they, you have much more in common from Altona as someone from Winkler than you do from somebody from Winnipeg. Jeff Braun? Subscribe to my lose letter for bullet points on why that's not true. <laughs> it's 100% accurate. <laughs> I was actually going to bring up, because I did grow up with that rivalry, that I, I just love it on uh, TV shows when they have town rivalries, like on Corner Gas with Dog River and Woolerton or on Parks and Rec with Pawnee and Eagleton. Yes. But the best one, of course, is on The Simpsons with Springfield and Shelbyville. And uh, to that degree, like... Uh, to Cam's point, that both those towns are just you know loaded with surprisingly stupid people. My favorite one was uh, the Springfield. Uh, uh, what's Homer's buddy Carl Carlson says? They're talking about Shelbyville, and he goes, "Shelbyville? You mean the guys we beat almost half of the time in football?" <laughs> like it was a, a knock against Shelbyville. <laughs> almost half. Yeah. Uh, so I love it when uh, when town rivalries pop up. They're TV a lot of show. fun. That's one of my favorite things. They're a yeah. lot of fun. Loren, you've got a clip here. What do you What have you got for us? Well, I just, you know, I had to do it. You, mo- you know my favorite show is The Office. This is the scene. Dwight and Jim have a huge rivalry going. But it's also that great thing about, you know, you mentioned you have more alike, Cam, than you do not in common. That You have more in common than you do not. These two are friends, but it's like friends and enemies. So Jim comes in one day dressed exactly the same as Dwight. He cobbled the outfit together for $11.40 and uh, hit it. Question. What kind of bear is best? That's a ridiculous question. False. Black bear. Well, that's debatable. There are basically two schools of thought. Fact. Bears eat beets. Oh. Bears. Beets. Battlestar Galactica. Bears do not... What is going on? What are you doing? Identity theft is not a joke, Jim. Millions of families suffer every year. Michael! Oh, that's funny. Michael, <laughs> I love that. Bears beats Battlestar Galactica. What kind of bear is best? <laughs> Question. That's a great impression Jim does of Dwight. Oh, it's so I good. I could barely like the voices are almost dis- discern undiscernible. That's maybe my favorite clip from that show. That is classic right there. Undiscernible. Mackling. Um, well, you know it's got to be hockey. It's actually not the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, because as I was growing up, uh, the Bombers always beat the Rough Riders. Labor Day was usually, uh, you know, a toss-up, but mm, the Bombers were always much better than the Rough Riders. So it was the um, Edmonton Oilers who were the nemesis, 
And so the rivalry between the Jets and the Oilers, there's some people who say there was no people in Edmonton. There was no rivalry between Winnipeg and Edmonton. Well, boy, uh, Winnipeg Jets fans didn't know that. Between 1982-83 season and the 87-88 season, the Jets played the Oilers one, two, three, four, five times and won exactly one game. The Oilers swept them one, two, three, four years in a row. And then in 87-88, the Jets finally broke through after 16 or 17 straight losses in the playoffs to the Oilers. And then who could remember, who could forget if you were around for it, the heartbreak of 1990 and then it looks as though we are going to have to play the Oilers in the playoffs this year. And let me tell you, the chances that the Jets knock off Connor McDavid and the Oilers, not looking too good right now. So yeah, I'm sort of reliving my youth. So I'll be uh, busy crying in the corner for the next couple of weeks for text a us, variety of different reasons. Text us at 204-780-6868. Your favorite rivalry. Water bombers will continue their work this morning to try to contain a forest fire burning in southeastern Manitoba. Yeah, uh, the fire is in Sandy Lands Provincial Forest, and that's just southeast of Steinbach. And according to the provincial map that monitors the fire situation in this province, we have a handful burning. Most are in what they call in control, but this one in the Sandy Lands area is considered out of control. And so, of course, Greg, we've asked for more information from conservation officials, but I think it's stating the obvious to say it's extremely dry out there. Yeah, and that's inside the city, outside the city, uh, pretty much everywhere. Where, in fact, late last week, a retired Environment Canada meteorologist who tweets under the handle Rob's Obs shared some data from Canada's drought map showing areas of extreme drought have expanded from southeast Saskatchewan all across southwestern Manitoba and up into the interlake. David Phillips is Environment Canada's senior climatologist and joins us now. Good morning, David. Good morning, guys. We uh, typically like to have a little bit of fun with you when we bring you on the air, but this is no laughing matter right now. What are we seeing in Manitoba as as it pertains to, to drought situations? Well, it is grave. It is a serious situation. I think that uh, certainly from my perspective, I monitor things nationally. This could very well be the the most important weather disaster in Canada this year would be drought on the prairies. And uh, it is just seems to get worse. Uh, uh, we, we Some people have called it a mega drought, uh, which is usually over several years. We've seen in some parts of the prairies uh, four years where the where the deficits have been down. I mean, it's it's sort of like putting money in the bank and withdrawing it. I mean, you want some some deposits, and, and there's been no deposits from really precipitation, and you're withdrawing it. And uh, and my gosh, it could end up with with bankruptcy if there's not uh, uh, some change. We saw last year, for example, just take Winnipeg as an example. Last year, we had the driest year calendar year in since records began in the 1870s, and the situation hasn't changed uh, uh, since January of this year. This year, we've had January to May right now. Uh, we've had maybe half the amount of precipitation that you uh, normally get. Now, I was optimistic, guys, uh, there when we last spoke about the middle of April. We saw that, that wet weather system coming in. I know it scared the bejeebies out of people because it looked like some snow, but it was a, a, a system that brought some moisture um, uh, into, uh, into southern Manitoba. Not a lot, but what I was hopeful for, it would change the precipitation mechanism 
systems. What had been missing were these weather systems that would, it was almost like the weather avoided uh, uh, southern Manitoba. And so I thought that was going to be a change. I, I described it as a drought vaccination in a way. And it turned out, I think it was a placebo because what we've seen since then is, yes, we did get maybe 15, 25 millimeters of rain during that uh, that uh, particular episode mid-April. But since then, guys, I mean, it is just, you've had a thimbleful of rain, maybe three millimeters where you normally would have had maybe, you know, 48 in that period. So the dryness continues and, um, and it's not good. I mean, it is, uh, it may get worse before it gets better. I mean, it's in affecting not just agriculture, but gardeners and even, even people like going camping and holidaying. You don't want uh, fire bans and, and things like that. Uh, uh, power production can be down because the rivers, it's, it really affects everybody. It's not just a rural uh, impact. It is, it's really a, an economic uh, impact across the whole province and the whole, all the prairies. So if I'm looking at this drought map, David, that is put out by Agriculture Canada, yes. I believe it sort of goes from west of Estevan into the Brandon area, all the way up into the interlake. And technically, Winnipeg's not included in it. But in and around Winnipeg, it's, if it's not an extreme drought situation, it's a severe drought situation. Those words kind of sound alarming. Is this something that uh, just one good rainfall can help fix? Because I don't see a lot of moisture in the forecast either. So what do we need to sort of course correct here? Lorraine, you've got it right. I mean, we look at this week, it's not good news. I mean, lots of sunny weather and temperatures that are going to be seasonable. I suppose the only good news we've had is that spring has been actually cool. May has been, every every day in May has had a freezing temperature. You normally would get a, a, a seven days in the month of May where a temperature would fall below freezing. You've already had 10 in a row uh, uh, in this May. So it's been cooler, and so therefore there's less demand on that precipitation that does that does exist. But it seems to me, you know, Manitoba is, is much wetter usually than the, the rest of the prairies. But really the center of this drought seems to be uh, more more seriously in Manitoba. That's where the areas that are, are showing less than 40% of your normal precipitation since the uh, since September, which is the time, the period over which you get recharge of the, of the soil moisture. Uh, so it is, uh, it seems to be expanding. I don't know of any area, uh, perhaps maybe a northern Manitoba, where precipitation has been, you know, has been close to to normal. So it's a, it's really a a, a serious situation. And uh, now the good news is that we are typically into the so-called quote monsoon season in um, in on the prairies, uh, typically from May. June, July, August, about 60% of your annual precipitation occurs in those four months. So that's the time when the mechanism set up to give you the moisture that you need. Uh, but hey, in the short term, it doesn't look good, certainly this week. Um, and I look beyond that, guys. Uh, it, it looks like uh, spring is in reverse, so we don't see a really a rapid warm-up. But um, And what we really need is is the kind of, of weather, I hate to say it, would be good for mosquitoes. You know, you need a kind of a, a soaking, percolating, drenching kind of rain, not a hit and run that would just run off into the rivers and not really get down in the soil where you need to work it. And so a, a kind of a drenching, uh, an all-week all kind of rain would, would really be the billion-dollar rain that you truly need. And, um, and our models seem to show uh, the spring to be cooler than normal. Hey, our models are never very good with precipitation. We're showing 
drier than normal in the far west and sort of wetter in normal in Ontario, which puts uh, Manitoba sort of in between that. So it could go either way, but uh, we know on average this is the wet season, and uh, and let's hope for the, some of these big black clouds to hang over us and bring some uh, some precipitation. David Phillips, Environment Canada's senior climatologist, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much as always. Much appreciated. You're so welcome, guys. Bye-bye now. And we know there's a lot of uncertainty after all the big announcements made over the weekend. We'll speak to a teacher in a moment. In our next segment, we'll speak to a business that has to close. But we are also trying to have some giggles today by talking about our favorite rivalries. We want to give you a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza just after 9.15. Tell us about your favorite rivalry. Jen says the rivalry between the Roadrunner and Wild E. Coyote. To this day, to this day, I cannot stand that Roadrunner. He's so arrogant. I feel so bad for that poor coyote. (laughs) Jen, I appreciate the commitment to that. The Roadrunner is so arrogant. 204-780-6868 for your chance to win. In the meantime, plenty of change coming for parents of school-age children on Wednesday. Yeah, beginning Wednesday, of course, Brett, many of us will be balancing or trying to balance work with ensuring our children are set up for remote learning. On top of that, there will be increased demand for homework assistance. One of our listeners just pointed out, hey, included in that group are teachers themselves. No question about that. We, of course, went down this road earlier this year at the end of the last school year. And one of the tweets which jumped out for me yesterday, Loren, suggested that one parent didn't like her chances of being any better at grade six math than she was at grade five math. Oh, I feel that. I'm looking at grade five math right now. Will Penner is a math teacher in Winnipeg and creator of the board game Mathopoly. For several weeks, Will, the shift to remote learning has been something which seemed inevitable. How are you feeling this morning as we look towards Wednesday and making that shift for the next couple of weeks, at least in Winnipeg and Brandon? Uh, well, I think we've we've been through this before, like you had mentioned, and I think we're we're set, we're ready. Uh, I think parents sort of had this on their radar. Uh, students might have as well, and uh, I think we're ready to go. I think we're confident as a group, and uh, we'll see how the next uh, two and a half weeks play out. Well, one of my boys is getting some one-on-one help with his math teacher in the last several weeks. Just the way school was set up, he was able to go in on an off day and get some one-on-one face-to-face help. And it really seemed to be generating some momentum and get gaining. he's gaining confidence in his math. And I'm concerned that this shift to remote will maybe overwhelm his math teacher's schedule. How dramatically will this change your ability to conduct that one-on-one help well one-on-one is going to be difficult i mean my my i I myself i teach 75 math students so um you know there'll be a general class um on remote learning so it'll be an hour uh, a day for math and um and then it's it's questions uh you know you, you just have to be open for the rest of the day um and you have 75 potential students who are going to ask you questions and some are going to ask uh larger questions that take more time and some are going to ask multiple questions, and you just you just do it. And if that means going into your evening, you go into your evening. If that means doing it on an off time during lunch, you do it during lunch. You have to find the time. Um, you know, the biggest people that are at a disadvantage through all this are the students, for sure. And um, we have to make that time, and we are we're happy to make that time for them. So it, yeah, it'll take some uh, adjusting, but it'll, we'll, you know we'll be fine. 
keeping kids engaged is difficult enough in a classroom, right, Will? Like, what are your strategies to keep them engaged online? Well, here's the thing. Like, for my, for myself, um, I've I've created a a project, a two a two and a half week project where students are going to be taking their binders, obviously taking their binders home and going through all the, the things that they've been taught this year. And they're going to create their own games. So they're going to be using two to three different um, themes that we've, we've discovered uh, this year. And they're going to create their own games and, and play it with the, the people that they live with and then display them when they come back. And we're going to try them out as, as a classroom as well for the month of June. And um, so that keeps them engaged in terms of their thought process, their creativity, trying to get uh, a new game out there for, for their friends to see and their families to play. And, and I think um, that's the way that I'm going to approach it this time, um, because there are certain things that I can ask students and parents to try at home. Um, but not everybody, like you said, is, is comfortable with some of the actual curriculum that is out there. So it's being creative and going, OK, let's. Let's redesign our living room. Let's redesign our dream kitchen. You know, what kind of measuring tools would we need? Are there online things that we can use? Um, if it's landscaping now that the weather's getting better, you know, there's a lot of measurements. There's a lot of geometry. There's a lot of estimation involved in those things. And, and getting those students or kids involved in those, those things that we do as adults, I think, is going to help them remember the numbers and remember the formulas and remember all these things that they have been taught over the year. One of the things I think parents might be struggling with this morning, Will, is that our only reference point might be the three months that we had of that homeschooling or sorry, the remote learning last year. And it's very different than what teachers have been preparing for this year, correct? I mean, last year we had thrown into that situation and it was a scramble and teachers were doing the best they could. But we keep hearing from school divisions saying that they're so much better prepared. So how is this? How do you think this will compare to that experience that uh, of last year? Well, last year, I know for, for us, we, we, were, we were doing more booklets. You know, we weren't as um, proficient in Teams. We used Microsoft Teams um, for remote learning. So we were doing a lot of booklets and answering questions that way and then getting these booklets in and then having to mark them and give the feedback to the students. And this time, being far more uh, advanced in our knowledge of how, you know, Teams works and having that one-on-one video conference with, with students or even parents and having a whole classroom at one time and teaching it. And, um, and just, I, I think just think we're way better prepared. And, and we also know what to expect from students as well. You know, when you're doing booklets, which isn't my favorite thing to do at all, um, you know, you're, you don't have the engagement quality uh, that you could have if you're doing in a remote class. And you have a full classroom to yourself as a teacher now, so you can set up the camera, you can do experiments, you can do things on the board that they can see in real time. So it, I just think... Overall, we're, we're, we're far more confident this time around, and we should be. Well, thanks for doing what you do. Thanks for giving us some insight. And, and in 30 seconds, yeah. you're a parent as well. So what are you, what are you going to do? Maybe give us some advice on, on how to keep our younger, our early years learners engaged you know, at the computer, because that, that's tough to sit in one place when the kids are used to being able to maybe get up and and do some different things. Do you need to implement recess at home? What's your strategy? Oh, for sure, yeah, um, definitely. There's there's going to be walks around the the block. There's going to be going outside and playing. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I think screen time is a necessity in terms of what we're doing for remote learning right now. But there has to be there has to be downtime. I don't like sitting in front of a computer for five hours a day. So why would I expect my 
my own child to do that and to be engaged the entire time and 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 sort of yeah you know just having having that responsibility of sitting there and learning the entire time i i want my my child to to experience the different things that i was talking about before in terms of cooking and baking and landscaping and and doing all those things where you're still using math but you're not sitting in front of a screen Will Penner joining us live on 680 CJOB, math teacher in Winnipeg, creator of the board game Mathopoly. Will, a pleasure as always, sir. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Can I just, can I get 20 seconds of time here just to share a quick story? 20 seconds, give her. 20. So last night we all went to bed and we were, you know, as teachers, we were, you know, had a lot of things in our mind. And, and this morning I finally fell asleep and my house alarm went off in the middle of the night. And so I jumped up did a full Donovan Bailey in my house looking for a, a way to shut this off. Turns out it wasn't my house alarm, it was my phone. So when I got to my phone, I realized at this point I ripped two quads and pulled a hamstring. And I looked down at my phone, and it was none other than Greg Mackling video calling me on oh, what? No! At, four, at 4.24 in the morning. Greg... I don't know what you look like at 424 in the morning, but there's that not a great. chance that oh we God. are not doing a video call at 424. Oh, my God. So I, don't know if you, I don't know if you bum-dialed me at quarter after four, but you oh, owe me three down. physio. You owe me three physio appointments because I literally have ripped both my quads. Oh Will, he does this all the time. He cons- probably three times a week, Brett and I are ignoring a <laughs> video call from Greg. I, Greg, I don't know why or what. I am. I don't know. I, I'm on, on the team's behalf. I am so sorry about the early wake-up call. Greg, Jeez, get I'm it together, that. buddy. Yeah. Will, Take just... my phone away from me. Oh, God, I hope the healing process is short-lived. Will, thank you very much much for joining us <laughs> oh that's a great story I'm glad it's well can... worth it <laughs> a number of manitoba businesses were forced to close for a third time since the coronavirus pandemic began last spring and some have had enough yeah, under the new rules, which went into effect yesterday, restaurants, bars, and patios, they're all closed to in-person dining. Gyms, fitness centers, museums, libraries, day camps, also closed, Greg. Yeah, Reed D- Davies is co-owner of Moto Yoga Winnipeg, joins us now. He uh, obviously owns a business which has been forced to close yet again. Reed, what was your reaction to the Friday evening announcement? Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, I was actually a bit shocked. Uh, I didn't think it would come to this. And uh, when I heard Pallister's remarks on Friday morning, then I phoned our leadership team and said, hey, I'm pretty sure we're going to have to shut. Let's, uh, let's get a plan together. Uh, the bad news is that, you know, we <laughs> had the plan from last time and the time before. And the worst news is we had to lay off our staff again. So it was quite devastating. Does this feel like the right decision for public health? Oh, gosh, I don't know what to say. Um, That's so difficult. I mean, if the healthcare system is overwhelmed and this is the only thing that will stop it from being overwhelmed, then yes. But, I mean, I don't know. People just don't seem to have the patience or tolerance for staying home any longer. 
Yeah. And I think that that, you know, when they were grappling with what to do, you know, I heard uh, Dr. Rusin say that they're trying to find that balance and they're trying to keep people at home. And so, for example, when they reduce capacity at retail outlets to 10 percent, that was part of the equation. Maybe people just won't go out, won't want to line up and therefore that will keep people at home. As far as you're concerned, what do you know about transmission in gyms or transmission at yoga studios? Have you had any incidents at your space or elsewhere, Reed? You know, we had uh, early last year, we had one, we got one letter from public health saying that somebody who visited a class on one day subsequently tested positive, And that's out of thousands and thousands of visits. Uh, so I don't know of any in Manitoba, you know, any transmission in fitness centers in Manitoba. Uh, you know, the it's it's funny because you you know you you look at all the numbers and you listen to everything, and you know I faithfully follow you, good folks, in the morning, and I just try to piece together every day where are these cases coming from, and they're not coming from patios. It doesn't look like they're not coming from fitness centers. I I don't know what to do. It's it's absolutely bizarre. So clearly, um, this is a difficult situation for anyone who owns a business. I highlighted restaurants that may have ordered a whole whack of food, some of it, if not much of it, perishable for Mother's Day weekend, a business that did not end up coming, at least on Sunday, and that won't be coming for the next little while, at least in-person dining. For you, Reed, what are you hoping for? I know that you've taking advantage of some business supports that have been available. Uh, do any of those start expiring? Uh, what else would you like to see from the government, if anything at all? Yeah, good question. Uh, you know, my first thing was to, you know, to, you know, those that are close to was, geez, I hope they, you know, they offer the bridge grant again, uh, which there's rumblings that they may, uh, you know, every every time the uh, wage subsidy and the rent subsidy are supposed to end, uh, you know, I cross my fingers and, uh, you know, hope that they get extended. So thankfully, they were extended to the fall. Um, I mean, that's it's all you can do is, it, you know, you hope that people still continue to support you while you're shut down. If you're, you know, if you're a gym and a fitness center, we, we've got a we start our virtual online uh, classes, uh, class schedule for three weeks today. So, you know. People, you know, you just hope that you just hope that your loyal customers that want to come to your premise will still support you virtually when you're shut. Reed Davies, co-owner of Moto Yoga Winnipeg, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Reed, thank you very much for the time. This is much appreciated. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. This is uh, just so tough to see all these businesses that have to close again. Uh, Loren, you mentioned that uh, you had a bit of a cry over the weekend over the, the school announcement. And for me, I cried on Friday night as I thought about all of my friends who own biz- various businesses, whether it's a restaurant or a dance studio or a salon or a barber shop, but having to close the doors again uh, and seeing the 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 anguish uh, on their face and hearing it in their voice and seeing it in their social media posts. It's just so like it's, it's business as usual for us. We come to, I, I'm, yeah. I get to come to work. My life has not been affected by this uh, in uh, any sort of significant way, like in a bad way. But for people who rely on people to come through the door and spend money to now have to shut that door, it's just... <sighs> I don't know. And for, for some, you can't, you know, we talk about 
okay, well, we can order more takeout. Let's get things delivered. Let's help restaurants that way. But then there's a business like Reed's Yoga Studio. How are you supporting them in this time when they can't open their doors? There's nothing you can do, right? Which is why they're putting out that call that they need to hear something from our elected officials today on what might be there when it comes to business supports. Because, yes, we all want to do what we need to do for public health. But many of these businesses might not make it back. One of the things that I look forward to in my job is getting to come into work and just try to put a smile on your face. I know it's our job to bring you news and information, and a lot of the time it's not good stuff, but we still find time every morning to have some fun. But we know today in particular you're, you might be extra frustrated. You might be extra angry. We're seeing it on our text line on Friday. Our lives all changed again with the latest round of restrictions, the latest shutdowns. And then yesterday we learned K-12 to schools, Winnipeg Brandon, moving to remote learning. For me, the, the difficulty has been the roller coaster of emotions, this mixture of optimism. You know, like we finally started getting, finally started feeling some optimism and hope. Uh, personally, when they opened up, uh, like when I saw my friends and peers getting the AstraZeneca vaccine, when they opened it up to 40 plus, and I'm seeing some other, my younger colleagues and peers getting vaccines here and there. And at the same time, it's, it's then met with this crushing defeat over the weekend. So I guess all I can really say, Greg, is I get it. If you're frustrated, you're mad, I get it. Even if you agree with the policies and the processes taking place and the steps the provincial government is moving towards in order to stop this doesn't mean you like it. I don't like the fact that my kids' uh, school and education process is being altered, but I understand why it's happening. I think it needed to happen sooner. And the other thing that I I really dig and something that is important to me is consistency of the message of protocols and policy. And one of our listeners pointed this out about, mm, I guess, about 10 minutes ago. Hey, guys, good morning. Can you get us in the next press conference to ask the powers that be, why couldn't they wait 24 hours to close the restaurant so they could have survived Mother's Day. They can wait 72 hours to close the schools. But what about another 24 hours that would have done for restaurants and owners with all that food, all that inventory, and all that Mother's Day reservations and business that could have saved some businesses again? Let's go for the better good. And I'm just reading that cold there. But I think we get the message there. Why that inconsistency of implementing something immediately on the business side and then waiting two days at the school side? And I think it's a great question. It is a good question. And I don't want to put words into any health official's mouth because they need to answer for that too. And I think that we can try to get that asked of them. I'm going to guess it had something to do with the fact that as they see this transmission increase and it's community spread, they're just trying to keep people at home. And so to have Mother's Day be normal and allow people or normal as it can be and have people meet for dinner or meet at our patio rather or meet at the restaurant maybe the goal is just to keep people home as soon as possible but there is that difference in the window you know shutting restaurants down for sunday morning that was what a four a 48 hour 36 hour mm. 
Yeah, if I'm doing the math versus the Sunday to Wednesday for the school. So I definitely I do hear what they're saying. The challenge there, too, is that they're saying in the schools that, yes, there is this transmission. They still believe it's a community transmission, largely not, you know, in school as much. But we heard Dr. Rusin say yesterday that it's happening so rapidly now. There's this so much transmission that they're having trouble linking it and sourcing it. So that's why the school might. I don't know. As I'm talking, I'm not really sure what the answer is here other than I get for people now, there's just increasing questions and not necessarily satisfaction with the answers. And and I I wonder, Brett, if people are at the point that maybe the answer doesn't matter to them anymore because you're so done with everything. I don't know what can get said that makes anyone, it certainly doesn't make you feel better. It is now time for a weekly visit with the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Bob Irving. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, you guys and Loren. We hope you had a wonderful weekend. We'll jump right into this. Tough not to discuss the Winnipeg Jets right off the bat, Bob. 4-2 loss to Ottawa Senators on Saturday. Really 3-2. Ottawa scored a very late empty net goal. But it has fans concerned that the 4-0 win versus Calgary last Wednesday was the aberration of the last now nine games as opposed to the you know the 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 Jets uh, looking good in that game. The Jets are now one and eight in that nine game stretch. Uh, convince me, I mean uh, us otherwise. <laughs> well, I won't try to convince you otherwise. I know that Jets fans, uh, their fortunes and feelings kind of rise and fall. They ebb and flow on a game to game basis. Hello, Greg Mackling. And so right now, you wouldn't be feeling very good about your Jets after you watched them play Ottawa the other night. A couple of things I would say: Ottawa has won nine of their last twelve games. Uh, and I watched them play, and they got a bunch of kids there, and they, they look like they're having fun. They're loose. They play with a joie de vivre that was certainly missing from the Winnipeg Jets the other night. I thought they worked hard, but there was no bite, and I know Paul Maurice said after the game there was no emotion in their game. I think what's happened here now, and I've seen this before, when teams qualify for the playoffs, and even though the Jets went through that miserable streak, their focus then be, tends to be toward the playoffs because that's all that matters now, really. The Jets have three games left in the regular season. they got Vancouver tonight again tomorrow night, Toronto on Friday. And, yeah, it would be great to win those games and go into the playoffs on a roll, as they like to say. But the Jets right now are thinking about next week and the playoffs. And they'll play these games hard, and, and maybe they'll win them. Maybe they won't. I don't know. Uh, but it's all going to come down to next week. I, they've got to get their defensive game right, as Paul Maurice said. And they've got to get some of their key people going. And I know defense will be focused on in the playoffs, but uh, Kyle Connor's got to start scoring again. I don't mean to pick on him. I'm just talking about two or three players who aren't producing the way they need to produce for the Jets to be good in the playoffs. Pierre-Luc Dubois looks lost in most of the games I've watched, and I don't know if they can get him going or not. One of the reasons they were so anxious to trade for him is how well he played in the playoffs last year against Toronto. So there's things the Jets need to fine-tune and and get better before next week. Whether or not the results of the games this week, Greg, will mean they've done or not done that, I don't know, because teams do go into the playoffs winning and then they lose. And I've Mm -hmm. seen teams go into the playoffs on losing streaks and then they turn it around and get hot. So I think all things are possible when the playoffs start. But certainly right now the Jets don't look, right now they don't look like a team uh, that's going to do much in the playoffs, but I would only say this, that can change very quickly. 
Now, to the surprise of absolutely nobody, Bob, John Tortorella will not be back as head coach as the Columbus Blue Jackets next season. Is he going to land another NHL job, or has his style of coaching expired? Well, I think he'll land another job. I don't think it'll be right away, but I do think he'll be back. I found it kind of humorous on the weekend when teams don't want to say they've fired a coach. They say that they've mutually (laughs) agreed to part ways which is another way of saying they fired the coach. And so John Tortorella, Rick Tockett in Arizona are out. Tort's shelf life expired in Columbus, and his shelf life is shorter than most coaches, but he's had great success in the four cities he's coached. And a team that's looking for kind of a jump start or a quick turnaround or a disciplinarian who will, you know, crack the whip and, and get guys to play better, will hire him again. So he'll get another job. I don't doubt that at all. Um, some people suggesting uh, if the, a change is made in Winnipeg, uh, maybe this might be a landing spot for Mr. Tortorella. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a change in Winnipeg. I know there's some fans out there, Greg. I hear from them all the time, and so do you, who feel that uh, Paul Maurice's shelf life here has expired. But I don't believe that the management uh, feels that way. Now, if they go out and force straight in the first round... <laughs> then who knows what might occur. But no, I'd be, I don't think the the departure of Paul Maurice from Winnipeg is imminent or even close at this point. So Saturday night, some great back and forth between the panelists uh, in between periods on Hockey Night in Canada. I'm going to guess you caught this, Bob. Yes, in I did. In particular, yeah. yeah, Winnipeg's own Jennifer Baudrill, uh, who's just doing, I think, a fantastic job on Hockey Night in Canada. Took some serious exception to what former Manitoba Moose and Vancouver Canuck Kevin Bieksa had to say about the lack of a suspension for Tom Wilson. Here's Bieksa. I think this is an internal organizational question where what does our team look like? How are we protecting Panarin and Buskevich? What what deterrents are there for guys like Tom Wilson? There's none in New York. So who cares about the suspension and what George Parrish gives? Your players are still going to be subjected to this kind of treatment unless you make a change in your organization. So BX obviously feeling as though it, it, it's up to the Rangers to make sure they have the players on their roster to protect their their young stars. Now here's Jennifer Bottrell's, uh, and I just want to caution you that this isn't her entire statement, and I had to ch- cut out sort of a chunk in between uh, just for time purposes. Let's not open the door for a next time that if a player is down on the ice with their face down and their arms are not available to protect themselves or if your helmet's off and there's and you're being thrown to the ice. Those were two potential situations where there could have been severe head injuries. Other levels of the game, whether it's the OHL or college or AHL, fighting and protecting yourself has almost been eliminated. So now players are coming in the league that don't know how to defend themselves properly. So why leave it to the players? to establish discipline. The second element that's a concern is the growth of the game. The NHL is the gold standard for the game of hockey, and they want to grow the game globally. So if you're a family or kids watching this game, you dream about those big moments of of making a great play or a big save or scoring the winning goal. You don't dream about being in these moments after the whistles or these violent um, behaviors. So if they're thinking about growing the game and they want parents to pick this sport to put their kids in, they need to have stronger discipline. What do you think, Bob? Well, Jan Botterill was brilliant on Saturday night. I thought she was terrific, and she stated her case with so much passion. You just heard it there. Kevin BX is old school, right? I mean, he's still a fairly young guy, and he's a very smart guy. He's a wonderful addition, I think, to the 
to the hockey coverage on television, but he's old school and, and he played a tough, hard nosed game. And he talks about protecting your players and having deterrence. And this is stuff that's been talked about in the National Hockey League. You know this, guys, for 40 or 50 years. Oh, you got to have some tough guys or they'll take advantage of us. Well, that's not as true as it used to be, not anywhere near. Tampa Bay won the, the Stanley Cup last year, and they don't have any tough guys. They don't have any real sort of protectors or enforcers. They won with speed and skill, and that's what the NHL is all about today. Washington has the toughest, meanest, scariest player in the NHL in Tom Wilson. And when teams play Washington, they know where Tom Wilson is every second he's on the ice. There's nobody quite like him. And he's also a good player. He can score. And, you know, he's, he's a, a talented player in addition to being mean and physical and all the rest of it. So I think some of this old school stuff that Bieksa talks about still exists. It does, and it probably will for as long as hockey is played. But what Botterill talked about is the way the NHL has gone in recent years, and it's gone to skill and speed and talent and all the rest of it. So this incident where Wilson was throwing those players around, he should have been suspended for a game. There's no question about it. Suspend him for a game, send a message. But the NHL didn't want to do that because they don't frown on this at the the top level the way a lot of people do but i think botterill made some great points so did bexa in his own way but these are one-offs now these these situations where you know what happened in that game that doesn't happen very often there's no more brawls anymore that thing that happened to the game after with the line brawl right off the start you don't see that anymore in the nhl so it's pretty well cleaned up but there'll always be some element of intimidation and physical prowess that's never going to leave the game totally. Bob Irving, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, joins us every Monday after the 8.30 news right here on The Start. Bob, thank you, as always, sir. A pleasure. You're welcome. My pleasure. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. The song is the man. Loren, you were asking earlier, when are we going to hear from the man who leads Manitoba? We now know when we shall hear from Premier Brian Pallister. Yeah, and we did hear from him Friday morning. He spoke about how they were going to make changes to sick leave and benefits for businesses that were struggling and for people that were struggling in these COVID times. We haven't heard from him, though. He wasn't part of that 6 o'clock news here with Dr. Brent Rusin when we were introduced to another round of restrictions. And it was the education minister at the announcement yesterday that schools were going to remote learning K-12 in Winnipeg and Brandon. And so people, including myself, are saying, when are we going to hear from our premier about what's happening? But not only that what's going to be there to help business businesses through this. And we're learning now, 11 a.m., the Premier will be speaking about supports for businesses in Manitoba. Uh, we had a business on earlier, Greg, asking about the idea that they were looking for hopefully an extension of the bridge grant program, so we'll wait and see if that's in place. In the meantime, we also know that City Councillor Scott Gillingham is putting a motion forward uh, at the council meeting or at a standing policy committee meeting, rather, on the 14th, looking for another $3 million in economic grant supports for businesses during COVID. So $3 million, not a ton of cash, but it's something. So those are two things we're watching for because uh, we've heard from multiple businesses this morning that really aren't sure if they can make it through another round of this. 
Yeah, every little bit counts. Every little bit helps when it comes to making rent, when it comes to making sure your bills are paid so that you can stay afloat, so that you can survive this third round of closures for so many businesses and to make sure that they have a fighting chance to, to get out of this. Dan Kelly mentioning the average business. This was over the weekend, and I think I heard him mention this as well with Richard and Julie, uh, Julie and the crew on the news uh, earlier uh, and late last week. And and he said $170,000 of new debt is what the average business, small business, has taken on during this pandemic. So they might be able to survive for a year or two, but eventually that debt that that debt may overwhelm them. So anything the, the government can do as a stopgap measure, I know will be appreciated. It, and as the Premier says, they can't make up for all the losses. That, that, that would be virtually impossible. And in the meantime, we have a text from Donna here that we just wanted to read because I think it ties into, you know, so many of us are feeling frustrated, even angry this morning. Donna sort of, I think, giving some perspective. She says, first, thank you for being a bright light in the start of my mornings. It sure is helpful. So thank you, Donna. That's very kind of you. With regard to what is happening, I, I would like to see people be kind and respectful. I've seen numerous cases over the past week where there has been rudeness. Two cases with media, for example, asking questions. One on Saturday to Blake Wheeler right after the game. Another to Dr. Rusin yesterday. And then a third one was a person who gave me, a, gave me the finger when I and a friend were just on a walk. We all need to be kind no matter what. I think that's great. But I also think this is the kind of message that people are probably tired of hearing at the same time. They're like, stop telling me to be kind. Stop yeah. telling me to do this. Just, ah, stop. So, uh, I, but I, I salute you, Donna. I am going yeah. to try to be kind. We have to try, and even if it's just small ways, but I get it. It's kind of the same way I'm feeling about all the caveats that we put in place. I don't know if you guys caught any of the skits from SNL on the weekend, and they did one where they talked about that first party you go to post-COVID and what it would look like, and just all those awkward conversations like, hey, how was your quarantine? Oh, good. How was yours? And one of the things that stood out was the line where they said something like, um, all things are fine considering and you feel like you have to make all those qualifiers all the time and okay well it could be worse it could be this it could be that and you know yes that's very true perspective is so important greg but it doesn't doesn't necessarily make you feel good when you have to be like oh no i'm good considering (laughs) well that's the go-to line right how you doing i'm great all things considered (laughs) and the the second part of that skit that stood out she says to the one guy so what'd you do in the uh over the past year to get any travel in He's like, no, did you? No, no. <laughs> and then everyone just stared at each other again. It's, it's like, there's so That's little it. to We're talk about. things to talk about. We, got we nothing haven't seen more each other say. for 18 months and we got nothing to say. <laughs> we want to read this text message from Kevin the Garbage Man, who is a frequent contributor at 204-780-6868. And Kevin says, vaccine super site. Had my shot yesterday at the convention center. First of all, right on, Kevin. Seemed only half full. I don't know why these sites are not 24-7 or close to it. Why do they slow down on the weekends? Is it a, a staffing issue? Because there were lots of staff around. All were very helpful. I wanted to yell bingo when they called my number, but I chickened out. LOL. But he, this is, he raises a good point here, Loren. 
yeah, I think we know that there were some staffing challenges uh, at the start, for sure, which meant ramping things up took time. But we're still not getting anywhere near that promised, you know, we can do 20,000 vaccines a day if we have the supply kind of phrase. And we know more Moderna vaccines are coming in. And they just dropped the eligibility uh, Friday to 35. And I was actually trying to help a family member get an appointment. And there was a wide range of range of possibilities, you know, just we were looking at different places like Steinbach and Morden just had the curiosity, the Leela had options and ended up getting this person in for today, which seems crazy to me, given what we would hope to be a, a big demand that you wouldn't be able to get an appointment just a couple days later. It's great that they have been able to, please do not get me wrong, but I was really surprised at, at that and it had me wondering if we're seeing a slowing down of the uptick in this, Greg. Yeah, you know, uh, I know it's been a point that uh, Tom Broadbeck in particular of the Winnipeg Free Press has made over and over again on social media, his concern about the stockpile of vaccinations. Then, you know, there are others who say, hold on, they're planning to make sure that we don't run out of vaccines because people are going to need their second doses. So is that part of the process and some of the rationale? But the winding and slowing things down on the weekend doesn't make a ton of sense. We've seen as many as uh, 14,000 vaccinations in a single day. Why are we why are we slowing that down on the weekend? Why aren't we thinking outside the box? I mean, the pharmacies, that's a great start. And the pop-up sites, great start. But in terms of 24-7 delivery, there's, you know, hospitals operate 24-7. Lots of doctors, lots of nurses, lots of support staff who are used to working odd hours, I'm sure. And many of them who would be prepared to do so if that was something that was brought forward. So that's part of the discussion for sure. And then just uh, where do we go from here in terms of the vaccinations? I suggested, you know, if uh, school-aged children... uh, 12 and over are now eligible for certain vaccines. Are we going to readjust, recalibrate who our first priorities are in terms of getting these vaccinations? If we want to get our kids back in school, wouldn't that be a way to do it? Lots of discussions about uh, vaccination and the ramp up and, and what needs to be done. Is it just a supply thing, Loren? Like, is, is that contributing to the issue here? Not, not at the moment. There's still, you know, we know, well, we know, for example, there's lots of AstraZeneca still to be handed out. We know we're getting another shipment of Moderna. We know that there's still um, doses sitting there waiting to go out. And so some people have said, why isn't that happening? And now I'm, I, I, I'm wondering now, thinking of Kevin's experience about how there was lots of staff there. So are we saying that the de- I'm wondering about the demand now, we have seen in some right. countries that when we get to a certain point in this vaccine rollout, the younger age groups might not be uh, as willing to go, that there is, you know, sort of that feeling of like, well, half of us are vaccinated, so that's fine, you know, that you might not have as many people lining up to do it, it as you did in the beginning. So I, I wonder about the demand right now, just based on Kevin's experience and the fact that I was able to turn around very quickly an appointment within, you know, 48 hours for this person. And when when we think about how we struggled to find a pharmacy to get us in, Greg, for mm-hmm. AstraZeneca's shot, right? Mine was 10 days after they are nine days after they lowered the eligibility because the phone lines were ringing off the hook. And now here we are, 35-year-olds and up can get vaccinated. I wonder about the demand. I'm just wondering. Yes. And, you know, and, and all this is our questions and, and things that go through our head. And the other thing that's gone through my head, Brett, is if, you know, I know the premier would like to to prove that he's not and the province is not getting enough vaccines. Why are you not just running out? 
why aren't you just getting every single shot you get into mm-hmm. uh, can get into arms and going see we need more can well, you speed this-, this up because we're rolling it out and you can't supply us and I, I know that would be sort of politicizing the whole situation there's been some of that no doubt about it but that would really make a str- strong point to not only the federal government but to the rest of the country look we're putting every single dose we can in arms. It's the federal government who can't keep up with us. You're having a hard time proving that to me at this point. Well, Lori just texted to say that our 35-year-old daughter got an appointment for this afternoon. Great news. I yelled over to the 36-year-old neighbors, hey, you're eligible. They said, no, we aren't getting the vaccine. So Lori's mm. expressing some concern that there might be some hesitation there. Meanwhile, Wayne texted to say he went online to make an appointment. He can't get in until the 19th. So it might just be where you're trying that you're seeing different kinds of demands on the system. Maybe it's packed in some places, not on others. Uh, I hope that the demand continues to drive the conversation so that I'd rather a day we run out of supply than knowing that there's just vials sitting there. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we've been having some fun this morning talking about rivalries because yesterday in our special coverage of the 1.30 p.m. news conference, which was the coverage was hosted by Loren McNabb and Richard Cloutier, and as Richard was signing off, he said this. Tomorrow morning with Loren and company on the start. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rich. Can't even be bothered to say our names. Is it really? Anyway, so too many syllables. So we thought we'd have some fun at Richard's expense and talk about rivalries. And we're going to give away a twenty dollars gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. And uh, this one made us all laugh, Loren. Uh, this text from Andrea. And you know what, Brett? I'm just trying to grab it right now. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. And it's not there, so I can just make noises like this for a little bit. <laughs> okay. Well, Greg, do you see it? I do. Ricky Bobby and uh, Jean Gerard, played by <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen in Talladega Nights. Ricky Bobby, when they get into the disagreement in the bar over music and Gerard makes Ricky Bobby say crap, or he would break his arm. <laughs> that scene and the rest of their rivalry through the entire movie is hands down one of my favorites. Thank you, Andrea. Getting some good movie suggestions. I got to rewatch Dodgeball now, and now mm-hmm. I got to rewatch mm-hmm. Talladega Nights. Got to do Happy Gilmore with Shooter McGavin and um, Happy in the whole scene. I just may down by the bay do what I say. Oh Let's yeah, some hay. That's another classic rivalry. I love. I loved when they revisited it a few months back. When he's Shooter, still got it. Drive for show, putt for the dough. Uh, but Vic Shooter. is our. <laughs> Vic is our winner Uh, because, Greg, you were talking about Jets and Oilers, right? Jets, Oilers, 82-83 season straight through until 87-88. The Jets played the Oilers every single season except for one in the playoffs. The Oilers swept them every single time except for one, 87-88. They finally won a game against the Oilers in the playoffs and then, of course, everyone remembers what happened in 1990 when the Jets were up three games to one in the opening series uh, Dave Ellett's double overtime winner and then Edmonton won three games straight to um, <clears throat> claim that series and eventually go on to win the Stanley Cup I, how many years is that and I still can't talk about it without getting angry is it 34 okay so let's get to Vic's text here Greg say, Vic says <laughs> I feel the same way about the Oilers I was at the game where Dave Ellett scored in double overtime I was at the game 
Where Dave Ellett scored in double overtime to put the Jets ahead 3-1. We finally had the Oilers by the jugular. Well, you know what happened, so I will be crying with you. I was at the game with my dad and a friend, and it was my favorite moment in Jets history. I'm glad I could be there. So I said, so you were there? And he says, LOL, yes, I'm that old. Come on now. And then Greg says, that game was supposed to be the next step. Oh, man. And Vic adds, yes, and that's why we are left crying. But... Good memories after a very tough week. These are good memories to think back on. So, Vic, thank you for that. And, wow, what a – imagine being at that game, Greg. I was there with my buddy Jerry. You were there too? We yeah, we didn't talk to each other for, for like an hour and a half through the, through the overtime. There was no talking. There was no – jocularity there was no back and forth it was some of the most tense times of my fandom of the winnipeg jets and when they scored jared's not much of a hugger but we did hug and we jumped up and down and we yelled and we screamed and we chanted go jets go in the in the lobby and outside the oh we thought we'd done it brett we thought we got it <laughs> Watch out for a voice call impending. I, I predict Loren as uh, Greg goes off to <laughs> ease his pain. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.